0: The following audios from the Chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the Chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Today is Mountain High. Next week is Valley Low because I love uh, Celine Dion songs. So it's Mountain High, Valley Low. If you don't know that song, it's Valley Deep, I think. But I just, it didn't make sense for the sermon. Next week, today is the Mountain High. And, and for me, there was one clear experience of an instant just fall from the high of being close to God, the high of feeling connected to God. I was a youth pastor back in the early 2000s, about 2004, and I'd gotten my bus driver's license so I could drive the bus. So what we did to to youth pastors back then, we made them get bus licenses. So I have this bus full of teenagers, and we had just spent a week at camp. We were all close to God. We were all connected. Our our prayers were, Lord, whatever your will, send us. We want to go and follow you. And as a youth pastor, I was so Uh, excited to see the fire that my kids had to just live for jesus just fearlessness boldness and then on the way down the mountain in hume lake california i'm driving this bus and i had taken all the courses the safety courses to understand how they works how they work how brakes work and how brakes don't work um and what happened was going down this mountain i'm i'm slowing it down trying to keep it in the gear because it's a quick dive down and i felt at some point the brake pedal started just not responding I've got a bus full of people's treasures, and, but I'm like fearless for God at this camp. And in about one instant, when I push the brake down and that thing just goes and the bus doesn't start to halt at all, I forgot everything I learned about trusting God. Every single thing in my mind about being bold and fearless and ready to do it all for God, ready to die for God, I'm ready for you, God. I thought, I'm about to kill 40 people for God. And you do this thing. You have these checklists of emergencies that they teach you to go through. So I'm I'm looking for those areas where maybe the bus could pull into and plow into the mountain. And we weren't in one of those places. We were in a place where there was just uh, a sloping, sheer cliff of death. Death, death. And my brakes aren't working. So I don't tell anybody right away. We're just picking up speed. And I see one of the leaders go, something's wrong. I said, yep I don't know what to do and I said if I throw it in like low gear do you think the transmission will just fall into the road and stop us and they said nope so I said okay I'm just going to sit here and we're going to just let this momentum build and I'm not going to touch the brakes maybe the air will cool it down so I just started praying like lord if this is how I go please make someone kind write the obituary and we started picking up speed Picking up speed, and I kept testing the brakes, and they slowly began to come back. At, at which point, I, I promptly just uh, got the bus to a stop. I said, "Everyone, get out! We're going to call someone, have them check on the bus." Nobody on that bus knew, except for me and one other person, that we were about to die. Because the last thing I wanted is some teenager trying to crawl out the emergency hatch. And we're going fifty miles an hour down a mountain. I don't know what the correct way to tell them was. I, you know, I'd, I should have probably said. Prepare for impact. I've read that and heard that in plenty of my Star Trek episodes. Brace for impact, number one. But the the juxtaposition of going from this amazing experience with God to total faithlessness, from going to I'm all in to I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I believe anymore. It was quick. And that's what's going to happen over the next two weeks. You might read this passage today with me and think, how is this going to help me be a better person? Mother, father, son, daughter, husband, wife, neighbor, worker. You're going to have to stretch with me to the end to find out. Let's read and then we'll pray and then jump in. This story is incredible. After six days, six days after, after Peter rebukes Jesus and Jesus rebukes Peter, Jesus says, I'm, got to, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, yes, I am. Get behind me, Satan. Six days after that exchange. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Those are his three buddies who are seeming to be closer. People tell me all the time, Jesus doesn't have favorites. And I say, yes, he does. First of all, I'm his favorite, and then it's the rest of you guys. No, it's not true. But, but in the 12 disciples, he let Peter, James, and John in to more things than the other disciples were, were in on. He took those three guys, led them up a high mountain by themselves, And he was transfigured before them. That's not a word we use very often. He changed. His figure changed. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I had this friend once. He's a pastor at a church in Carlsbad. He went in to get um, his teeth capped. Have you guys ever had that one friend that gets their teeth capped so white? It's terrifying. The first Sunday after he got it done, um, I said, dude, I don't want to say his name because you can still Google him. I said, hey, how did your congregation react? And he said, everyone noticed. And if you were looking at this guy's teeth, it was like a Crest White commercial. Had a baby with a Clorox bleach bottle, and that was his mouth. And I said, what did they say? And he said, people wrote on the comment cards that our tech director needs to turn the lights down. Now, I don't, know how, I don't know how this beaming whiteness of Jesus, the glory, it's light, it's light, it's beaming out. And it says, nothing could be as bright as this moment was. This was what is called the glory of God, literally bursting through Jesus. The, the flesh of Jesus was hosting and is, is embodying the presence of God. But Jesus' flesh kept it in in such a way that it wouldn't just obliterate people. We tend to think that when we see God, we have questions for him. I hear that often. When I see God, I've got so many questions for him. You might have a lot of questions for him, but I promise you, you're not going to ask one of them. It's like when people get dumbfounded when they see their favorite celebrity or or some person they've geeked out over. You've seen it happen before. Maybe it's happened to you where you meet somebody and you're at a loss for words because you're just like, I'm so happy to be here. There's a few people in my life that have done that to me. Uh, one that I mentioned before, and I'll, I'll drop it again just as a humble brag. Um, one of my favorite pastors of all time uh, reached out to me when I was going through a hard time, and our families connected, and we got to do this phone call. Now, he has a famous podcast where he answers people's questions, um, Ask Pastor John. And I've listened to that podcast hundreds of episodes. And today was a day, or a day, there was a day where I was told to call, his cell phone number. I have his cell phone number on my phone. This person is one of my heroes of the faith. He's not on the permanent list because he's not dead yet. I don't, I don't put people on my heroes until they die. I want to make sure they finish the race. But, uh, but I, I called him and he goes, this is Pastor John. And I was on the other line of the phone. Hey. And I, it took me a while to like, what do I say to this guy? What do I say to the guy who has taught me so much through his books and his sermons and his podcasts? And then by the end of the uh, the podcast, by the end of the podcast, I did tell him, I'm like, it feels like I'm inside one of your podcasts. By the end, he goes, you know, I'd I'd really like to ask you a favor to pray for a couple things for me. And I was like, dude, you are the fourth member of the Trinity. How can I pray for you? No, I didn't say that. But it felt weird. I was geeked out. I didn't know what to say because it was one of those moments where I was just in awe. Now, Peter, James, and John are seeing the creator of the universe wrapped in flesh, bursting through his, his Hebrew flesh of brightness, of glory, of the weight of God. And then, this is where it gets even crazier, they appeared with them. They're up on this mountain, Jesus starts shining, and then Elijah and Moses appeared. Just show up. Guys that have been dead for centuries, show up. As a skeptic, I have questions. How did they know? There weren't selfies. There weren't selfies of Moses on Mount Sinai like, hey, check out these tablets. And then Peter had them on his phone. This was before 67% of whatever people had phones. There's something about our persons and i'm not going to get into it but i think it's fascinating because as i've studied heaven and the afterlife i spent a lot of time thinking about death and what happens in the next life there's something about our persons that is recognizable to others who didn't know us which i think is fabulous people ask me weird questions about death because i think about it and i talk about it regularly they say do you think we'll know our loved ones when we see them in the next life sometimes i think it's because they don't want to know their loved one um Sometimes I think it is. Will we recognize them? Will we remember? And to which I have a very quick response. I I say this. Do you think you're going to get dumber in heaven? Do you think you're going to have a worse memory in heaven than you do here? And, And it goes even farther. There seems to be something about how we see each other that we will know, people, as you walk along the golden streets. That you'll walk along and say, I know that guy. I know that guy. And we'll still have our relationships on earth that we will be able to cherish in the next life. But there's going to be a new way of knowing that is deeper and more rich. I'm moving along from that because we're going to talk a bit about that in a second. But this scene, three guys, Peter, we're going to call him foot-in-mouth disease. James and John, the prideful brothers, they're always trying to one-up each other. They're basically just what we call brothers. They see Jesus shining. here. The the person who represents the law appears. I don't know what it was like. I watch a lot of movies. Most of us do as well. I don't know if it was a materialization, whatever it was. And then Moses comes, and then Elijah. The law and the prophets. When you read the Bible, you'll see the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. These were the the people that embodied it. Moses embodied the law. Elijah embodied the prophets. And they show up when Jesus is shining. And then good old foot and mouth, verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, He still doesn't get it. He says, teacher. He doesn't say light beamer. He doesn't say shiny guy. He doesn't say God. He's confused. He says, Rabbi, teacher, it's good that we're here. Peter has a dumb plan for everything. He's got a dumb plan for everything. It's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Here's the scene. Poof! The light brighter than you've ever seen it. Jesus glowing. Old dead guy. Old dead Charlton Heston. Foot in mouth Peter says, I got an idea. Let's build a tent. Now the word for tent is an idea of a dwelling. Some place where they could just say, this is it. We see everything we need to see, we ain't going back home. We're just gonna stay up here and stare. We're gonna live here because it could not possibly get more amazing than this. I'd be scared. It's it's terrifying when you think about the eternality of God. It's terrifying when you think about the fact that He has always existed and will always exist. It's terrifying to think about the expansiveness of it. I can't even get my head around how to keep a two-story house clean. When I help my kid with his homework, it's getting increasingly difficult. I've had pets throughout my life. We had many, many betta fishes. I can't even keep a betta fish alive. By the time it was all said and done before we moved to Florida, we were on Bob the Fifth. And it was always the same story. I'd take the dead fish to PetSmart, I'd match them up to one that looked like them, put them back in so the kids wouldn't know. I lied. I apologize. God is aware of every heartbeat in this room right now. We're searching for life on Mars. God knows every instance of life in the universe because he's the creator of it. We're still trying to get our minds around aspects of physics and creation. And the infinitesimal amount of knowledge we have compared to God's would astonish us. The most brilliant minds in our world would read like a level one reader of the three little pigs. And God chose to come into the flesh and then burst through. And then bring all the backup of, this is what is coming from the Old Testament. From the law and the prophets, this is what I was getting at. And then a cloud overshadowed them, verse 7. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. Does anyone else hear that only in a James Earl Jones voice? I, I mean, I, if, I had, if he was here, I need to have people with accents. Dave, I, David, I just need to have you read every Sunday. You would read the scripture for us. It just sounds smarter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Here's a quick. Jesus bursts out in light. Two dead dudes show up. Peter says something dumb. A cloud comes down and talks to them, and then it vanishes, and Jesus is standing There cloud. Um, if, if, for those of you who are Bible scholars, it just triggered something in your brain. If you're a Bible nerd, you're like, cloud, God speaking. I've heard this before because in the Old Testament, it was a very important concept that God showed up in a cloud. His glory, His presence was in the midst of a cloud leading Israel through the desert. And there are moments in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and Kings and Exodus where it talks about how the the cloud of God, the glory of God came down in a cloud, and it was so uh, so dense and so glorious that the priests couldn't even enter into the cloud. It's one of my favorite things to do in Florida. For those of you who grew up in Florida, um, you don't realize how amazing the clouds and the fog are here. It's the summer days here are like Toy Story clouds, just for as far as the eye can see. And the fog in Florida... I think it's because we live in a swamp, technically, and we just put houses on top of it. I like that ringer, Chris. I like that. I know I say we don't do shame at the chapel, but every once in a while, a good dose of it won't hurt too long. (laughs) The fog coming down Boyette or going into Boyette in the mornings. Sometimes it can be so dense that a kid, I'm, I'm a California, Hawaii kid, I don't know fog so I would drive into the fog remember the first time I drove into fog here I was actually in the 75 and I saw nothing just nothing it was as if God said I gave you vision with your eyeballs but I've turned it off in the world and on the 75 with Florida drivers and the number of uninsured motorists I've researched statistics on and the size of my vehicle my Volkswagen Jetta I slowed down real moderately I didn't want to get smashed or smash anybody. The cloud of God's glory wasn't just impenetrable because of its density, it was impenetrable because of its power. A cloud settled on Mount Sinai, on Mount Horeb, when Moses was going to meet with God. There was another time where someone on a mountain asked to see God's glory. It was Moses. Do you guys remember the story? If you don't know the story, it's one of my favorite stories. Because Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. We sing songs about it all the time. There's dozens of songs written about this moment. But nobody writes a verse about God's response. The songs say, show us, show us your glory. In the story where that happened, God says to Moses, if I show you my glory, you will die. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover your eyes, which I don't know how that works. And then I'm going to pass by. And then I'm going to let you see the, the entrails of my entrail. Does that? Are you tracking? God says, my booty glory is all the glory you're going to see. You're going to see what's left over when I walk by. And it said when Moses came down the mountain after seeing the entrails of his entrails, Moses' face was so bright the people of Israel couldn't look at him fast forward to this moment because one man who brought the laws of God written on tablets to the people of Israel said God I want to see your glory and, and God said I can't even show you my glory at that point in history God could not show Moses' glory or Moses would die This is the point of history where God's getting ready to rip down the curtain from top to bottom that separated where the presence of God was and where the people were. If you were a sinful person and you walked into that, people died over and over and over again. But Jesus is going to make a way where God and humans can be connected forever, where we could have an experience like nothing that we've ever had. And this is, in this moment, This is the flesh of Jesus no longer being able to contain his deity. This is the flesh of Jesus showing everyone that he knows through these three men later on as they write this story. This is the moment where Jesus says, look, I am the person who was in the bush. I am the person who broke the hip in the Old Testament. I am the person who is God in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God until we get this. The Bible will just be a how-to book, a help book of if you follow this advice, it goes good. But something else kind of came to me in this moment. Peter wanted to just set up home there. Peter said, you know, I'm just gonna set up some dwellings. This can't get any better than this. I've had moments in my life where it can't get any better. You think of those moments with The person you love. Sitting sitting on a beach with my wife, without kids. Just peace. Even those simple moments, I remember the first time my wife made me coffee. I can remember because it was this year. (laughs) I had to rupture myself to get coffee. Lord knows what I'm gonna have to do to get mac and cheese. No, I'm just kidding, she makes dinner. She just never learned to make coffee. She's not a coffee drinker. But I remember the first time she started bringing me coffee. It was a little bit before this, actually. And, and she just brought it up to my desk. And I looked at her, and I thought, that's amazing. And some of you are like, well, I make coffee for my spouse every day. Well, good for you, overachiever. <laughs> my wife had never made coffee. We don't have a Keurig, because Keurigs are like reading a cult book instead of the Bible. It's not, it's not healthy for you. She brought up this coffee. And it was in this amazing mug. It's in the mug you gave me with that little set of mugs, blessed mugs. They were my favorite mugs until I got the the cup from Stephanie that has the verse that never gets put on coffee mugs. And I, I she set it down. And I said, what is it? And my first thought was, like, did you actually make coffee? My second thought was, it's going to be really bad. <laughs> and my third thought was, this is how she's going to kill me. But I remember when she left, and I was like, I know this sounds trivial to you, but for for someone who's not a coffee drinker to learn how to make it and then bring it up to me when I had the capacities to do it, uh, she just walked away from my office, smiled, said, you're welcome. And I I thought, this is a good moment of life. Peter was in a good moment of life. Peter wanted that to be his home. Now, the interesting thing is we're all trying to make our home somewhere. We're trying to find our sense of security and belonging somewhere. This is uh, bar none, there's no exceptions across the world. Every human is is trying to find home. We're trying to find it in a place or a location. Some of us have those friends, and they just move from place to place to place. They think the next place they live is going to be the place. I'll tell you what, if there's any place that's home, it's a location, it has to be Hawaii, but I lived there and I moved away because there's something even greater. And some of you are thinking, I know where home is. Home is where the heart is. Thank you, coffee cup. Yes. Peter had found a place where he wanted to have home forever. Now keep in mind, Peter had a wife. Could you imagine if Peter's like, I'm going to phone this one in. Hey girl, I found a new home. <laughs> one of the unfortunate Parts of my job is um, being around people who pass away. And the, the last church I was at, it happened more frequently. So good luck for you guys. Um, you know, we had, every January, we'd have at least about a half a dozen deaths. Because um, people kind of hold on through the, the holiday season, and then they, they see their family. And it, it just seemed to be a pattern. And we'd have a, a few deaths each month. And a number of times, I remember um, just being there people, really been there for the family as the person passed away and one of the weirdest things happened uh, over and over again I would walk back in or go meet with somebody after their spouse had passed away and they'd be at their house, the house that they had shared with this person for who knows how long and I would say how are you doing and they would say things similar to this nothing feels right here it just doesn't feel like home And it, uh, that kind of thing changes a person. You know, when you when you go through something tragic, you lose a child, or you lose a loved one, or you lose a best friend. You lose a piece of yourself, a piece of your home. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying that you don't have pieces of yourself that are invested in other things, but he he is going to get to the points, and he's getting at it where he says, if you want to experience true home. If you want to experience true belonging, it is in me. Now, it's not in this moment. This moment wasn't the right moment. <laughs> I tell young people when they're dating, the right person at the wrong time is the wrong person. If only I could have learned that before I was an idiot over and over again. The wrong person at the right time is still the wrong person got to get the right person at the right time, and then you get married, and then you discover in marriage, there's no such thing as a right person. If you haven't discovered it, you are the wrong person. There's one person we were made to be united with forever. It grieves me that I don't get to see and be in a marriage with Amy in heaven. Jesus has this very passing verse. says, I tell you, there, there's no marriage in heaven. You don't get it yet. He's talking to disciples. There's this massive unity and togetherness. Marriage is a picture on earth to show people, to show everyone else. This is how God loves the church, and the church loves and respects God. Your marriage is to be a living picture of that where husbands say, I'm going to lay down my life for my wife, because Jesus laid down his life for me. And the wife says, I want to honor and love and respect my husband, because this is a reflection of how we as a church love and honor and respect our spiritual husband. It grieves me, though, when I think about that, because I really like Amy. Like, I really like her. If, if, you're, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you, I've done this joke to you, where I I'll say, oh, how long have you been together? And you'll like, say, oh, you know, 74 years. And I'll say, do you do you like them still? And then like, nine out of 10 times, they'll say, yeah, I love them. I said, no, I didn't say, do you love them? I said, do you like them? I still like and love my wife. It's amazing. When I think about not being able to have her bring me coffee in the morning or not being able to wipe the Clorox floors for her that's what that's her love language her idea of romance is a steak dinner after I've Cloroxed the whole house it seems weird to me because I've still grafted onto this idea that she is what makes me whole she is not Jesus alone now here's where we have to remember I say this with my words but I'm not going to pasteurize us okay I understand, because God created us to find joy and pleasure and security and love and hope in relationships with one another. But our primary, the all-encompassing thing that we need for our lives is relationship with the one person who can see us as we are and love us despite the way we are. Peter was confused about this moment on the mountain. He wanted to set up home there. But Jesus said, this is not the time. They continued. They were coming down from the mountain. And Jesus charged them, tell no one what you've seen until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Here here he goes again with this, I got to die talk that Peter did not like. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what does this rising from the dead mean? And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Jesus says, but I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. This is uh, Peter, James, and John. They saw this experience. They had likely... Connected it to the mountain of Sinai, the clouds of God's glory. But they didn't understand that Jesus had to die. This is the theme. Over and over and over again, the disciples don't get it. So if you're here and you don't get it, I'm glad you're here. As someone who didn't grow up in the church, church can be a scary place. You know, I switched back to using a real Bible. I was using an iPad to try to be one of those cool pastors, but now I look like a flamingo pirate. Figured I'd go back to a real book, and I was gifted this book. Thank you. It's the Bible, in case you're wondering. And I, uh, as I, as I think through, as I think through churches and how weird it is, I remember my first time, back before there were phones, when I became a Christian. Pastors, pastor would say, flip to Zechariah, flip to hezekiah flip to Jebediah the 73rd. And it seemed like every human in this church was like, <sighs> and I'm just like, Bueller, Bueller, how many books are in this thing? And then they would do things like, let's all say the Lord's Prayer, and they never put it up on the screen. So 1,200 people are in this church in suits and dresses with hats and flowers. And I'm there in like a wife beater and board shorts. And I'm still looking for the sermon text and the service is over. And they're like, our Father who art in heaven. It took me a month before I realized they weren't talking about art. I didn't grow up in the church. It took me months before I realized that if I went and saw The Matrix, I couldn't tell my new friends about it because I'd be judged because it was rated R. It only took me a week to find out I wasn't allowed to say certain words at youth group, by the way. They were really quick to jump on me for some things. This church thing we do is odd. My, my urging to you today is not to say, do I have to know all the rules? Peter and James and John, the people who were with Jesus all the time, walking with him, living with him, eating with him, sleeping with him as they traveled along, they didn't get it. Some of us in here are thick-skulled people. It takes Jesus a little bit of time because he's gracious. He doesn't want to use a sledgehammer. He's going in like a spiritual brain surgeon. If you are in here today and you're thinking, I don't know about all this Christianity thing, I'm glad you're here because neither did Peter, James, and John. And they were right next to the Son of God. They just saw light beam out of his skin. And they were like, I don't get it. Here's a hint. If you see a little Jewish dude running around and light is beaming out of his skin and there's a trumpet blaring in the sky, (laughs) you better do something. Jesus, Jesus. Some of the songs we sing here, you know, from time to time I think they're repetitive because I started singing hymns when I was a Christian. I didn't, hymns are like books with music, for those of you who don't know that, those. Some of the songs, these modern songs, they repeat things. There's one song I love, that Jesus, Jesus song. Jesus, Jesus. Some of you already say that, I know. When I ruptured my Achilles, the guy with me said it. Oh, Jesus. I said, are you praying for me or cursing? Because now is the time for prayer. Begin to find your home in him. The story is going to unfold as we get to the second half of Mark, and we're going to see how we do this more tangibly. This week is Jesus leading his disciples to a mountaintop experience, and then they get confused, and they come crashing down next week because they see the power and glory of God shining through Jesus And next week, they can't even cast the demon out of a little boy. And they say, what are we doing wrong? We see this, we see that, we've done this, and then we come down here, we just fail. So if you're someone who has had this pattern in your life of good times with God, and you fail. Good times with God, and you fail. This week and next week are for you and for me. It's how God works with us and works through us and changes us. It's this pattern of seeing that we need God to save us over and over and over again. It's that pattern of turning to him for salvation that I call making your home in Jesus. There's a little story. It's a cute little Christian story about a boy who invited Jesus into his heart. And at night he went to sleep. And he woke up the next morning in tears. And his mama went to the bed and said, Sweetie, what's wrong? He said, Mama, last night I invited Jesus into my heart. And all night I was knocking. And he never opened the door. And he said, I went to the bathroom and I looked in the back of me to see if there was a door behind there that I missed. And he went on and on how he's looking for Jesus in his heart. We've made this weird thing about that. Do you know in the Bible it never says to invite Jesus into your heart? you know in the Bible there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer that many of you grew up on? If you want to be saved today, you pray this prayer. Ha! Lord Jesus. I'm a sinner. Forgive me today. Hallelujah. Amen. Banana, banana. That's not in the Bible. And will, I'm adding the banana, a banana just for effect. sinner's person not in the Bible. The idea in the Bible is that Jesus becomes our everything. We're not trying to cram the God of the universe into our heart. He made a way so that he could envelop our lives so that our home becomes in him. And it's in that way and this is the one very tangible practical side of this. When Jesus is your home that's type of person that can endure any storm. I've sat beside hospital beds and funeral homes of people who have lost children. To me, that's like the worst. Um, death. I've sat by beside people who have lost their children who didn't have a home in Christ. And they leaned on me and therapy and others. We are poor substitutes for the God of the universe. I've sat parents who have lost their kids, and they still ask the questions, why God did this happen? Which is okay to ask, by the way. Don't let pastors lie to you. In the Psalms, people ask why God all the time. But at the end of the day, they knew their home was in Jesus. Why God? It's okay. My home is in Jesus. I don't get it. I hate it. I can't believe this happened. But my true home is in you. I've seen those people weather the storms and infinitely more I hate these words stable, but stable ways. It's the ballast of their life that lets them cut through the waves. That's what I want you to have today. Not just the mountaintop experience, but the experience of knowing that life will come and go in mountains and valleys. But if your home is in Christ, you'll have the power to endure them all in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the way that you slowly and gently unfold this story for us from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation you took your time getting this written down and you take your time with all of us in here Lord I know there are people in here who have been walking with you for decades and their home is in you but perhaps maybe Lord they've they've lost sight of of you in certain parts of their lives perhaps Lord they've they've tried to to build a guest house to harbor some of their brokenness. I pray that today they would move all in through the valleys and the mountains of their lives. I pray, Lord, for those today who are skeptics like me, that you wouldn't let the, this church, this chapel family, that you wouldn't let us be a place where we shame people into religious regulations, where we flip to Bible books faster because we've been here longer. Lord, let this be a place where you can be searching for a book of the Bible, the whole sermon. And then we'll tell you that there's a table of contents afterwards. Lord, let this be a place where people can pray with the same type of words that they talk to their friends and their parents and their spouses, where we can put away the pretentiousness of old English that none of us talk. Let this be a place where We can leave our shame and guilt at the cross because you died for us. Let this be a place where we can forgive deeply and hold no grudges because you have forgiven us deeply and hold no grudges against us. Let this be a place where from time to time we catch a glimpse of how you're loving us in this world and we tell others about it. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.